Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. <clears throat> Today's sermon passage comes from Mark 14, 43 through 52. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the behave I'm sorry, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away with under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and stuck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading the rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Corey. You can go ahead and have a seat. Today, we are finishing the series that has been going on for a while that we call In the Moment. And we're going to finish this series by talking about one of the most common human experiences that any of us can face. Now, this moment in history that we find ourselves in, now that we've gotten to 2022, or close to 2022, is that this has been a challenging couple of years that have come before us. And not only has it been challenging because we faced collective challenges, but because we've also faced individual challenges in the midst of it. Think about for different industries like gyms or movie theaters or food. They will forever be changed because of what has happened in this cultural moment as far as everything that we face. Now, one that you may have not heard of, unless you read the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago, is that there's more than just a couple fields that are experiencing challenges. There is also the mobsters who are also experiencing challenges during this day. This is a real story. Wall Street Journal posted a couple of weeks ago actually saying that when it comes to the mob game, that mobs are facing an extreme challenge in their future. Not only did COVID actually tank their numbers, awesome, but in addition to tanking their numbers, they are dealing with one of the toughest challenges they've ever faced in history. Betrayal. As a matter of fact, if you track the mob industry, which I know you came to church to hear about this morning, if you track the mob industry, you will actually see a decline. And the reason for this decline is because mobsters are having a harder time recruiting loyal employees. Mm, didn't see that coming, did you? Here is one quote from the Wall Street Journal about one older mobster who was mourning 
being caught in talking about the younger generations and his concerns with it. He said, when it comes to the younger generation mobsters, they are softer. They are not as loyal as the mobsters of the past. And then listen to this. And they are always on their phones. Okay, that's just hateful. Okay, I'm in this demographic. That's just hateful. That's stereotypical. What's funny about that, though, is that even though the mob industry is facing that individually, we all face collectively a form of betrayal that happens in our own lives. Loyalties thin, and betrayal is something we all encounter in one form or another. If you don't believe me, think about this. Do we feel it when a brother or a sister doesn't contribute to the care of an aging parent? Do we feel it when a friend publicly shares what we meant to stay private? Do we feel it when our kids no longer want anything to do with us? Do we feel it when that friend that came to us at the beginning was just using us for the group project? Do we feel it when it's our jobs that used to give us a self-fulfillment no longer give it to us? We even may feel it with our own bodies. I know some of you said, I used to have a full head of hair and now my body has betrayed me with it. The question that we come to with Scripture today to hear the passage that Corey just read is not the question of what will happen if you get betrayed in life. The question is, what do you do when you get betrayed in life? And this is the question that we come to with this passage today. If you did not get a chance yet, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to Mark 14, Turn to Mark 14. If you don't usually bring a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to bring a Bible with you because we're always going to be dwelling in Scripture. Now, Mark 14, verse 43, is where Corey started in reading that passage. And we're just going to walk through it a little bit because when it comes to betrayal, Mark gives us a story of what betrayal is like for Jesus. And it is one of the best stories of betrayal because it includes a mob, and it also includes a streaker, if you were listening very closely, which every good story involves a streaker, which we will get to in a minute. But Mark 14 and verse 43, let me read this first part for you again to see what Mark is doing. Now, just as they were speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. And with him was a crowd of armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one that I kiss is the man to arrest and lead him under the way with the guard. Now I want you to pause and hear the irony that Mark is setting this story up with. Jesus is about to be arrested for the claims he is making. But this crowd that comes to arrest him is literally not backing the claims that they would say of God. Another way to say it is God would not claim the ways that the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers would be coming to Jesus. That Jesus is being arrested and treated in a way that Jesus never treated someone. It looks noble on the outside, but on the inside something is not matching up. 
let me uh, explain this a little bit further. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were sitting down at this meal, and I sat down, I started to eat this plate, and uh, I took a scoop full of potatoes, and I ate the potatoes. Now, when I put the potatoes in my mouth, I immediately realized these are not potatoes. But I made sure they are listed at potatoes. So I leaned over to my wife and I go, what are these potatoes? Because they are awful. And she looks at me and she goes, I think they're faux-tatoes. I'm sorry, what, what is a faux-tato? And she leans over and she goes, it's a type of potato. I'm like, well, what type of potato is this made of? And she's like, I think it's mainly made of like cauliflower and seasoning. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just hear that? The missing ingredient. There was no potato in those faux potatoes. They can call themselves potatoes all day, but I will never call them potatoes. Mark is giving you this moment. This is a faux potato moment. Okay, not my strongest illustration, I know, but I got it there. This is a potato moment. This is a moment where God's people are coming to claim one thing, but when you look closely on the inside, the outside actions do not match with the inside whatsoever. They may look like the people of God, but they are not acting like the people of God. And this is one of Mark's most passive-aggressive places in the Scriptures. Did you notice that Mark tells you in the very beginning that the crowd comes, Judas is there, but then he switches the title in which he's going to say of who Judas is. He says, the betrayer. Okay, this is the most dramatic way to bring this about. You ever have this moment? You ever have someone that you walk down the halls and you can't detach what they've done from you from who they are? That you just go through your Rolodex of life and every once in a while you bump into someone that you know is the betrayer? Someone in your life that makes you uncomfortable. Someone in your life that just irks you a little bit. Someone that you wouldn't trust them further than you could throw them. This is the passage where we actually get the phrase, the kiss of death. Mark is going to actually say that the betrayer is going to kiss Jesus. Now, when we say the phrase kiss of death, if you've never heard this before, this is an intimacy with something or someone that subsequently becomes your own destruction. And here's where betrayal gets really close to your wheelhouse. Is that most of the time, the kiss of death that you can experience in your own life, the own form of betrayal that you can experience, usually has to do with not a face that you're unfamiliar with, but a face that you're very familiar with. Someone that is close, that is intimate to you, that knows the deepest parts of you that can also bring destruction to you. The kiss of death comes through the people that we let be closest to us. Now let me give you an illustration that paints this. There's a writer by the name of Lisa Jo Baker. And Lisa Jo Baker has this imagery that she says, here's what happens to us when it comes to the kiss of death, when it comes to betrayal. Here's what happens to us from when we're young all the way to when we're older. And we're going to call this the park parable, okay? She says, if you want to know, if you want to see some imagery 
of what happens to us as we walk through life and what betrayal does to us. She goes, look no further than just how a park playground operates. She says, for example, if you take your kids to the playground and you just let them go in the playground and they just play on the playscape, they will find someone that they have never known before. And if they knew their social security number, they would give it to them after a couple minutes. That kids can get together and in minutes they can talk to each other like they've known each other for their entire lives. But Lisa Jo Baker says, notice where the parents are when these moments are formed. They're on separate park benches, not talking to one another. As a matter of fact, it may take several interactions with the kids to actually get to a place where the parents may talk to each other. And Lisa Jo Baker says, this is the illustration of what happens to us as we walk through life. As we get older, we are always tempted to be less trusting, to be more cynical, and to be more guarded than we were when we were younger. That there's a small death to ourselves each time we experience betrayal. Scientists would actually say this is true as well, is that your brain is a social brain. You are looking for other brains to connect with. But when another brain betrays you, when someone who you trust does something that you no longer feel like you can trust, Your brain actually rewires itself. It teaches you, I'm not going to trust the same way that I trusted before. This is the imagery of walking through life. When we're younger, we're more trusting, more inviting, and more open. But as we get older, we're always tempted to be more closed-minded, more skeptical, and more distrusting. And this is where, at this point, we should just, I should shut down, we should bring the praise team back up, and we should just do lap after lap after lap of worship. Because when you look at the nature of Jesus in this passage, Jesus' nature is so refreshing. Because Jesus' nature is not you and I's nature. Do you notice that as you walk through the Gospels, when you get to a story, Jesus knows the entire time that there's a possibility that Judas may betray him. And Jesus still lets him get close. He still lets him be a part of his life. And you go, why in the world would Jesus let do? Because Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. That part of love, and this is so beautiful, part of love is saying, I'm going to put my heart out there for the chance of having my heart handed back to me. That's the type of love that Jesus is showing in God's love. That when it comes to these 12, we know that this would be a close kiss of death. Judas is a part of the 12 that have been the original. He's been the one that's heard the secrets of God. He's been the one that's been with Jesus in all the moments. This is the one that Jesus has trusted. And he hands him his heart, and Judas hands it back to them. Now the question can flip on the same end. Why would Jesus let Judas be this close? But the other question is, why would Judas betray Jesus? Why would he do? Now, there's many different ideas of why Judas may do it. Uh, The Gospels are very clear. Uh, Judas is sketchy, okay? 
as you walk through, uh, different gospel writers are like, hey, Judas is kind of sketchy here. Hey, Judas is a thief. Hey, Judas is taking this. But all throughout this, even the gospel writer Matthew, just another writer that's telling you a story of Jesus, he actually says, you know what? When it comes to the amount that Jesus was traded for by Judas, it was just 30 pieces of silver, right? Just 30, okay? Like that's the equivalent of you could buy like three big gulps at 7-Eleven, okay? That's not a lot. That's how I measured everything when I was a child. How many smoothies, how many ices will that provide me, okay? 30 pieces of silver is not a lot of silver. So the question still remains, why would Judas betray Jesus? Now, it's not conclusive across the board, but one thing history-wise you may be helpful to know is that some people think that Judas, before following Jesus, historically was a part of a group called the Sicarii. And the Sicarii would have been one of the most violent expressions of zealot of the day. They would have been the group of people that were like, we need to push something now to overthrow Rome and the powers to be. And this is the group that many people actually think that Judas was a part of. So if Judas betrays Jesus for this reason, it's not because Judas completely disregards his relationship with Jesus as much as he's trying to control Jesus. As much as he's trying to get Jesus to follow his same ways of violence. Maybe if he starts with violence, Jesus will respond with violence back. It's so fitting that the word Sakari means dagger of men. That when Jesus does not respond the way Judas hopes him to be, Jesus metaphorically gets a dagger in the back. And this next moment in the story will actually provide the gut check that you and I coming to church today need to be able to hear. Now, let's pick up in verse 44. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one that I kiss is the man to arrest and lead him away under the guard. Now, going at once, Jesus said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And the men seized Jesus, and they arrested him. And when one of those standing near drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Can I stop and ask you the gut check question that you need to ask? Because there's something instinctual in this moment. When someone tries to arrest Jesus, one of the people next to Jesus starts swinging a sword. The question is, what do you start swinging when someone betrays you. Maybe the better question would be to ask this. What do you turn to when someone turns on you? To keep it in the language of the text, when you get cut, what comes out of you? Let me make this very practical for us. When you get cut off in traffic on I-35, what comes out out of you, okay? This should be preaching this morning. That would be there. Don't say what word would be out loud, but what comes out of you? When you're cut to the heart by gossip, by another person that you've trusted, what comes out of you? When you're cut out of a project at work by someone that you thought was a friend or a coworker, what 
comes out of you. Often when we're cut by others, we tend to want to cut people back. Now we're not overt about it, right? We find small ways to cut people back. We say things to ourselves like, oh, I'll teach them. Or never again will I do that. Or I'll make them know the lesson with it. We react in moments of betrayal, but here's the thing. Jesus does not react the way that everyone else around him reacts. Alexander McLaren, who is actually a preacher in the 1800s, he said it this way about reflecting on this text. When the church, when the church takes a sword in hand, it usually shows it does not know how to wield it. And as often as not, it has struck the wrong person. When you and I become reactive people, when we want to cut back when someone cuts us, when we want to turn on someone when they turn on us, usually it only hurts people more. And even think about just the imagery that comes with this. I mean, this text is just dripping with good stuff. Did you notice he cuts the ear? The one part of the body that would actually be able to help solve this problem in a different way. Usually when we try to react, we respond in a way that another person can't hear us. We choose violence. And Jesus' response to anyone that chooses violence in return is he says, you don't know the things that I've been about. You haven't seen me. And the disciples do one of the two things. They fight and then they seek flight. They have fought and now they are walking away. Mark actually tells us this in verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled and a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Mark is setting this up to say Jesus has prepared his disciples over and over again that they will walk away. And then you have this moment where they actually run away. Mark is giving you the story in such a way to say there is a lot more behind this that Jesus is known has been in the works for a while and now we're seeing the fruits of it. I want to introduce you to a thinker by the name of Rene Girard, who actually talks about this effect of what happens with the disciples. Because basically what he would say in this moment is that there's a lot more to this story than just what seems on the surface. Now, Rene Girard would actually say this, when it comes to betrayal, there is always more at work than just what's happening in the present moment. That he would say this for this passage, and he would also say this for how we react to betrayal in our lives. Now, let me give you an illustration because I can see I'm losing some of you. Rene Girard would explain this effect, this outlet, this desire, this way that you cope with betrayal by using an illustration of a moment in history from baseball. Okay from God's game. No, I'm just playing, but it is a really good game, okay? Here's how Gerard would actually explain it, just from this moment historically in baseball. Uh, guys, can I, can, I get some, can I get some help around here? 
Just get some feelings going on. Train the environment. Mm, there we go. There we go. It all begins with knowing the Chicago Cubs. It was the lowest point of the Chicago Club's, Cubs career. They had not won a World Series since 1908. The present day is now 2003. The Cubs are in the NCL division playoff game. They may make it to the World Series if they can win this next game. Now, they have not won for almost 100 years. Okay, let me pause. If you're a Chiefs fan or a Patriots fan, I know I'm cross-pollinating here, you're going to have to bend really low to understand what this is like, okay? Okay, they haven't won a game in a really long time. They're in game six. They're competing against the Florida Marlins. It is game six. The Cubs are winning three to one. And if they get the out at the bottom of the eighth, they've got one more inning. If they beat the Marlins, they go to the World Series. Batter lines up, hits the ball over to the left field side. It is going out of bounds, but the left fielder is sprinting. He's sprinting, and he's going to be able to reach over the wall to be able to catch it. I know some of you are like, he is doing this up way too much right now. He runs, and he goes to grab the play and right as Alou reaches over the stands to catch it for the third out a man by the name of Steve Bartman reaches over his glove and knocks the ball right out of the glove the Cubs do not finish the inning with three outs a matter of fact because the play still stays alive the Marlins actually score two to three more points and what's even more heartbreaking is they end up losing that game because of Steve Bartman. And then they go to game seven and they end up losing to the Marlins. And if you know your history, the Marlins go to the World Series and they win it all. It's a heartbreak of every Cubs fan there. But here's the disturbing part. The disturbing part isn't that Steve Bartman reached out and knocked the ball that he was trying to catch it, which by the way, you probably would have tried to catch the ball too. The disturbing part is that after Steve Bartman tried to catch the ball, the crowd slowly became a mob towards Steve Bartman. And this is where Gerard says, this is human nature. The crowd for the rest of the game starts to chant words that I can't even repeat from this stage about Steve Bartman. Steve Bartman actually has to leave the game early because they're scared for Steve Bartman's safety. Steve Bartman, for the next five years of his life, has to lay low because all of Chicago has wrath for him and what he did in this moment to this game. Guys, you can bring me down now. This is where Gerard would say the human nature, the human instinct, that's inside me and inside you, comes out. Just to note, the Cubs didn't lose the game just because of this. There were two more errors in the game. The Cubs had seven games to be able to play and win, but every Chicago fan, if you ever asked them, why did y'all lose that series, they would be like, Steve Bartman, he's the reason we lost this series. And this is where Gerard would remind you that you and I are people that look for a scapegoat. 
You and I are people that in the moment we take all of our angst, all of our frustration, all of the things that we're wrestling with, and we bring it into the present moment. And usually we don't look for something, we look for someone to exercise all of our frustration and our anger that we have in the present moment. We say to ourselves, this is justified because of what they did. End of story. And this is where you got to come back to the end of the story with Mark. Because remember, Mark gives you this weird illustration at the end with the disciples. And it's like, there's a guy that's streaking with the linen. What's going on here? Some people actually believe, although there's multiple ideas, some people actually think that this part of the text is referencing a prophetic text. It's saying, hey, this is a moment that was set a long time ago, and this is part of the fulfillment within it. Others actually think, with this part of the text, that this is Mark writing himself into the story. Many people believe that Mark is saying, I was there too, and he puts himself as this man who is being arrested and flees away naked. It's Mark's way of saying, especially since it's only in Mark, it's Mark's way of saying, I was there too. I've been there. I betrayed him as well. And that's very helpful for us to hear if that's how Mark's writing it. Because if Mark is saying, I've been there, we can also be people who have said, we've been there as well. That when it comes to how we interact with people in life, that we are actually people at times that we take our frustrations and our anger and the things that don't feel right in our lives and we focus it and we channel it to one person. The reality is, is that you and I join the crowd and join the mob of humanity that we betray others, that we betray creation, and when we betray others or creation, we betray God. And just like the story of Bartman with baseball, we look for someone to take out our frustrations on. When someone cuts us, it's an opportunity to cut them back and work them out. You can murder someone without ever laying hands on them, right? Go silent in the relationship. Roll your eyes in the meeting in a way that everyone else can see. Hope for their failure in future life and projects. We are people that latch on to betrayal. But here's where the gospel steps in for us today. If the end of the story is that the disciples flee away, the other end of the story is that Jesus actually stands. And the gospel for you and I to be able to hear today is that even though you and I turn on others and turn on God, God does not turn away from us. And the question that you ask is, how do you know that? We know that because when everyone turned on Jesus, Jesus did not turn on them. That this God, this Son of God, stepped forward and said, I will stop the cycle of pain and hurt and betrayal. That I will choose a different way. That there is a comfort and a challenge that comes to Jesus. That in the moments where you were not faithful this week, in the moments where you turned on people, God has not 
turned on you. Through Jesus Christ, we know this. But there's also a challenge that comes on the other side of this. That because God has not turned away from us in Christ, we are empowered not just to interact different with God, but also to interact differently with each other. That we are people that are empowered to not respond the same way when other people cut us or when other people do things that are hard or bad to us. If you are a Jesus follower in the room, you are not a reactive person, but a reflective person. You are to reflect the love of God to every single person. That means that you are not a person that gives themselves to defensiveness, to being guarded, to being cynical, to being suspicious, to being smiteful. And that's been the hope that we've had in the series in the moment is that we realize that God has done something for us. And that because God has done this, we are empowered to handle the moments that life throws us very differently. That in the moments of betrayal, you remember how Jesus handled betrayal and you handle it the same way. As Jesus would say it in his words, Turn the other cheek, which is not an easy way for us to be able to live life. But that's why we first turn to the table with each other. If you're hosting communion, I'd like to go ahead and invite you, if you're serving, just to go ahead and grab um, some trays in the back. And today we're going to finish by turning to the table of communion together. When you come to this table, this is a place where we get a comfort and a challenge. This is a place where betrayers and the ones who are betrayed come. Those who are doing the betraying also come to this table. This is the table where we remember that when we turned on God, God did not turn away from us. In the words of 1 Peter, his wounds will heal us. This meal that you're about to take, when you take this bread and this cup, this is a meal that you need this week. This is a meal that your spouse needs you to take. This is a meal that your coworkers need you to take. This is a meal that that stranger at HEB needs you to take. Because when we take in the body and the blood of Christ, when we take in the one who did not turn on us, we in turn become to the world what Jesus is. For us. So as the servers give you the elements today, may you know the first thing that you're going to be given is the bread, which is the body of Jesus that embodied the love of God for you. And you're going to take some juice, which is going to represent the blood of Jesus that got cut and what came out of that love and that cut was more love. As we take this meal, may Jesus offer you grace through these elements so you can be an offering of grace to the people around you this week. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for coming in a way that we could never imagine in some ways that we could never understand. God, we thank you for crushing the cycle of betrayal and hurt. God, we come to you 
with all of these feelings over the past year, God, may we know that we can set down the frustrations, the hurts, the different aches that we have in life. God, help us to bring those things before you to where we do not channel it out in the relationships with the people that we love the most. May you bring our tensions and our frustrations and disappointments. May we feast on you in a way that helps us and empowers us to love instead of resorting to any other way of life. We thank you for your sacrifice. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.